Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to Sidecar Stories. My name is Sam, but I'm assuming many of you who are here at this time, who are here early, who are here on time, right when we start, I'm going to guess y'all already know that. Today we are reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. Indeed. Indeed. Now, as usual, I'm going to go through my review. If there are people coming here from YouTube, uh, I apologize for uh, how... Hmm. I, I apologize if this can be a little bit jarring. Uh, I recognize that this is a, a pretty strange... Um, like a pretty strange kind of setup for doing... Oh, oh boy. I'm messing with all my sound stuff. There we go. That's what I was looking for. There we go. Um, I realize this is a pretty strange way of doing things, but I figure it would be best if people who wanted to catch up can catch up on YouTube. And then if they're like, you know what, I just, I want to be, I want to be in the live one, then they can catch it immediately afterwards. So any of you YouTube people, welcome to Mixer. Um, Tuna Sunday is correct. Remember, Mixer may auto mute the broadcast when you join up. So if you can't hear me or if you can't hear the, uh, well, if you can't hear me, then this probably isn't much good to you. But if you decide to come over from YouTube or from uh, Discord so you can catch the visuals tonight, then uh, go ahead and don't forget to unmute me because it starts muted by default. Mr. Foose, how's it going? Tuna, of course. Howdy do. Howdy, howdy, howdy do. <laughs> no, Rachel, I don't think you were the only one. Sorry, Debbie. Yeah, I don't know. Bellbird, welcome. Still do a little jade dragon, but not as much as usual. I don't know if, like, what would help that? Do I need, like, a little me? Uh, that would be a pain in the butt trying to do a musical intro with Discord. I really, I really deeply considered doing something extra spooky and just being like. <sighs> would that have been mystifying? Would that have been rough? Sorry about that. Fluky says, I'm listening to the live stream, but my tag doesn't show. Your tag. I'm going to admit I am not sure what you're referring to by your tag. Are you talking about in Mixer, Fluky, or is this uh, on Discord? Anyway, so... Nate, thanks for doing the rounds. I appreciate it. Um, thank you all so much for joining me here tonight. Like I said, we are reading chapter 28. So as per usual, <laughs> Acidic Rain Man just says, come up with the booming UFC voice. It's time. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> what do you think? Does that work for you? Is that what you wanted? Is that what you wanted? Rain Man. Let's talk review, shall we? So, chapter 27. Um, it's been one week since you looked at me. No. Well, I mean, for a lot of you, that's actually probably true, huh? All right. Um, chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak. Now, who remembers what the centaur is and what the sneak is? Well, first of all... Um, they have their first lesson with uh, Forenzi, and we are going Forenzi, because that, we have confirmation from a real-life Italian, <laughs> a real-life Italian, that uh, that is indeed the pronunciation. So, we're going with that. 
McQuay I am indeed wearing this. This is uh, McQuay in uh, Mixer chat right now. She made this for me. Whoopsh. Mr. Foos, I'm having a great week. Yeah, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the room where it happens. Um, had our first lesson with Firenze. Um, and I am going back to that pronunciation. That was my first instinct, and I should have stuck with it. You all talked me out of it. How dare you? How dare you? All right. We have our first lesson. Um, it's a little, it's it's more mystical even, uh, if we could, if we could uh, even believe it, than uh, Trelawney's class was. There's there's the burning of herbs, and, and he seems to have an entirely, Forenzi seems to have an entirely different philosophy on divination as a study. Um, we hear about sort of the centaur version of divination, which he says, it might be 10 years before you realize what you're looking at, and even then you might be wrong. Um, Centaur divination doesn't really concern itself with the day-to-day -day activities of people, like, you know, what colors should you not wear, or what things, what sort of injuries should you look out for. It doesn't concern itself with that. It deals more with the big picture. So, uh, after this class, Forenzi seems to have something to say to Harry, and he wants Harry to communicate to Hagrid a message. The message is, Hagrid, what you're trying isn't working. It would be better to give up now. And Harry's like, wait, what, what's this all about? And Frenzy won't tell him. <laughs> now, uh, they, they have a, another DA meeting. Uh, things are going pretty well, it would seem. They're working on Patronus charms. And then suddenly, Dobby bursts in with tears in his eyes. Well, I guess his eyes are, he's with wide eyes. And he's shaking and he has a warning. She's coming. I think we all know who. It's Umbridge. Um, she and it would seem a number of students, including Draco Malfoy, um, have have found out about these secret DA meetings. And not only that, but they have found out about the Room of Requirement, and they are here. The DA scatters. They run across the uh, they they run across the school, and and many of them make it away. But Harry gets tripped up by Draco, and Harry is brought to Dumbledore's office, where there is, of course, Dumbledore and McGonagall, but not just them. Also, Cornelius Fudge and Umbridge is there, of course, but uh, Kingsley Shacklebolt is there, who is secretly a member of the Order of the Phoenix. Um, and then there's, let's see, uh, a, a smaller um, Order who we don't know their name. Things get a little heated in here. Um, it seems Dumbledore is trying his best to sort of get Harry out of this one, and he's doing a great job right up until the moment where Umbridge pulls out the list that Hermione tacked onto the wall of the Room of Requirement. It was a list of all the people participating, and what was at the top of that list? It was, I believe, Ginny's suggestion. Dumbledore's army, the name of the group. Well, there is no getting out of it for Dumbledore with this one, and to Harry's shock, even it seems to Umbridge's shock, Dumbledore takes full credit for the entire thing. Ash, welcome to uh, welcome to Mixer. Mr. Foose says, in his relationships, he always ends up in the friend zone. Indeed. Uh, the, the jig is up. 
Um, and Harry thinks, well, there's no way Dumbledore will be able to get me out of this one. But Dumbledore takes full credit and Fudge suddenly in a wild fury about uh, uh, about uh, Dumbledore having created an army because Dumbled- uh, Cornelius Fudge has been suspicious of this. He's been suspicious of Dumbledore, thinking that Dumbledore's got it out for out for the Minister of Magic job and he's going to uh, uh, and he thinks he's finally got Dumbledore. So he intends to take Dumbledore in by force if necessary. And this is where Dumbledore says, unfortunately, I must disagree. And the lights go out. There are banging noises and and sudden flashes of light. And the room is full of uh, fog. And Dumbledore is gone. Dumbledore is gone. But not before he has a chance to talk very briefly with Harry and with um, uh, McGonagall. And I want to I tell you exactly what he says here because I think it'll be important. Uh, while I'm scrolling, I just want to remind you that uh, the reason, the, 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 the means by which Umbridge found out about all this was, unfortunately, Cho's friend Marietta. Seems that Marietta came and tattled to, uh, to Umbridge. Let's see. What's the, la- what's the last thing that uh, Dumbledore says? Uh, so Dumbledore, as, as right before he disappears for good, it seems, uh, he says, Fudge will soon, uh, he is not leaving to go into hiding. He says he's not leaving to go into hiding, but he tells Harry, you must study occlumency as hard as you can. Do everything Professor Snape tells you to. You'll understand why soon enough, but you must promise, close your mind. And then Dumbledore is gone. And it seems that Fudge has sort of forgotten about Harry at all. It seems like he's finally gotten his real prize of Albus Dumbledore. And Ash, Ash says in chat, yep, love she has to have sneak on her face for a very long time. Yeah, uh, Hermione uh, jinxed that, that, uh, that list that they all signed where they put their names down to, to say that they really were committing to be part of the DA. Um, the, uh, the list itself was jinxed. Uh, or hexed, I don't cursed. I don't remember precisely the wording, but uh, it was somehow uh, adjusted by Hermione, such that whoever signed their name to the list and then subsequently told uh, Umbridge about uh, what was going on, they've got sneak written across their face in big boils, which I think in the U.S. we call pimples. I believe they're the same thing. So there's our review. I hope y'all are doing really well, Ash. <laughs> um. Got to get your, you've got heavy hair causing headaches. That's, that must be a lot of hair. I know when I keep my, uh, my hair tied back for too long, I get really bad headaches and they come on pretty suddenly. Then they just stick around until I let my hair down. Gotta let my, let my long hair down. Um, Mr. Foose, no one is as wonderful as Herman any. <laughs> All right, everyone. I want to say thank you so much for listening. And let's get into the chapter for tonight, shall we? For anyone who doesn't know how this works, go ahead and uh, if you want to talk about something, put it in chat. I would love to discuss it at one of our chatter breaks or um, after the chapter's over. Here we go. Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. By order of the Ministry of Magic, Dolores Jane Umbridge, High Inquisitor, has replaced Albus Dumbledore as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. 
The above is in accordance with Educational Decree Number 28. Signed, Cornelius Oswald Fudge, Minister for Magic. The notices had gone up all over school overnight, but they did not explain how every single person within the castle seemed to know that Dumbledore had overcome two orders, the High Inquisitor, the Minister for Magic, and his junior assistant to escape. No matter where Harry went within the castle, the sole topic of conversation was Dumbledore's flight. And though some of the details might have gone awry in the retelling, Harry overheard one second-year girl reassuring another that Fudge was now lying in St. Mungo's with a pumpkin for a head. It was surprising how accurate the rest of their information was. Everybody knew, for instance, that Harry and Marietta were the only two students to have witnessed the scene in Dumbledore's office. And, as Marietta was now in the hospital wing, Harry found himself besieged with requests to give a first-hand account. "'Dumbledore will be back before long,' said Ernie McMillan, confidently on the way back from Herbology, after listening intently to Harry's story. "'They couldn't keep him away in our second year, and they won't be able to this time. The fat friar told me—' He dropped his voice conspiratorially, so that Harry, Ron, and Hermione had to lean in close to hear him that Umbridge tried to get back into his office the night after they'd searched the castle and grounds for him. Couldn't get past the gargoyle. The head's office has sealed itself against her. Ernie smirked. Apparently she had a right little tantrum. Oh, I expect she really fancied sitting herself up there in the head office, said Hermione viciously, as they walked up the stone steps into the entrance hall. Lording it over all the other teachers, the stupid, puffed-up, power-crazy old... Now, do you really want to finish that sentence, Granger? Draco Malfoy slid out from behind the door, followed closely by Crab and Goyle. His pale, pointed face was alight with malice. I'm afraid I'm going to have to dock a few points from Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, he drawled. It's only teachers who can dock points from houses, Malfoy, said Ernie at once. Yeah, we're prefix too, remember? snarled Ron. We know prefix can't dock points, Weasel King, sneered Malfoy. Crabbe and Goyle snickered. But members of the Inquisitorial Squad... The what? said Hermione sharply. The Inquisitorial Squad, Granger, said Malfoy, pointing toward a tiny silver eye on his robes, just beneath his prefix badge. A select group of students who are supportive of the Ministry of Magic, hand-picked by Professor Umbridge. Anyway, members of the Inquisitorial Squad do have the power to dock points, so, Granger, I'll have five from you about being rude about our new headmistress. Macmillan, five for contradicting me. Five because I don't like you, Potter. Mm, Weasley, your shirt's untouched, so I'll have another five for that. Oh, and I forgot... You're a mudblood, Granger, so ten off for that. Ron pulled out his wand, but Hermione pushed it away, whispering, Don't! Wise move, Granger, breathed Malfoy. New head, new times. Be good now, Potty, Weasel King. Laughing heartily, he strode away with Crab and Goyle. He was bluffing, said Ernie, looking appalled. He can't be allowed to dock points. That would be ridiculous. It would completely undermine the prefix system. 
but Harry, Ron, and Hermione had turned automatically toward the giant hourglasses set in the niches along the wall behind them, which recorded the house points. Gryffindor and Ravenclaw had been neck and neck at the lead that morning. Even as they watched, stones flew upward, reducing the amount in the lower bulbs. In fact, the only glass that seemed unchanged was the emerald-filled one of Slytherin. "'Oh, you've noticed, have you?' said Fred's voice. He and George had just come down the marble staircase and joined Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Ernie in front of the hourglasses. "'Malfoy just docked us all about fifty points,' said Harry furiously, as they walked sev watched several more stones fly upward into the Gryffindor hourglass. "'Yeah, Montague tried to do us during break,' said George. "'What's he mean tried?' said Ron quickly. "'Oh, we never quite managed to get the words out,' said Fred." Due to the fact that we forced him head first into that vanishing cabinet on the first floor. Hermione looked shocked. But you get into terrible trouble. <laughs> Not until Montague reappears, and that could take <laughs> weeks. Don't know where we sent him, said Fred coolly. Anyway, we've decided we don't care about getting into trouble anymore. Have you ever? asked Hermione. Of course we have, said George. Never been expelled, have we? We've always known where to draw the line, said Fred. Might have put a toe across it occasionally, said, Fr said George. But we've always stopped short of causing real mayhem, said Fred. But now, said Ron tentatively. Well, now, said George. What with, a, what with Dumbledore gone, said Fred. We reckon a bit of mayhem, said George, is exactly what our new dear head deserves, said Fred. You mustn't, whispered Hermione. You really mustn't. She would love a reason to expel you. <laughs> you don't get it, Hermione, do you? said Fred, smiling at her. We don't care about staying anymore. We'd walk out right now if we weren't determined to do our bit for Dumbledore first. So, anyway... He checked his watch. Phase one is about to begin. I'd get in the great hall for lunch if I were you. That way the teachers will get to see that you had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with what? said Hermione anxiously. You'll see, said George. Run along now. Fred and George turned away and disappeared into the swelling crowd descending the stairs toward lunch. Looking highly disconcerted, Ernie muttered something about unfinished transfiguration homework, and scurried away. "'I think we should get out of here, you know?' said Hermione nervously. "'Just in case.' "'Yeah, all right,' said Ron, and the three of them moved toward the door to the Great Hall. But Harry had barely glimpsed the day's ceiling of scudding white clouds when somebody tapped him on the shoulder, and turning around he found himself almost nose-to-nose -nose with Filch the caretaker." He took several hasty steps backward. Filch was best viewed at a distance. The headmistress would like to see you, Potter, he leered. I didn't do it, said Harry stupidly, thinking of whatever Fred and George were planning. Filch's jowls wobbled with silent laughter. Guilty conscience, eh? he wheezed. Follow me. Harry glanced back at Ron and Hermione, both of whom were looking worried. He shrugged and followed Filch back into the entrance hall, against the tide of hungry students. 
Philt seemed to be in an extremely good mood. He hummed creakily under his breath as they climbed the marble staircase. <laughs> as they reached the first landing, he said, Things are changing around here, Butter. I've noticed, said Harry coldly. And it says Y-E-R-S-E. Years! I've been telling Dumbledore for years he's too soft with y'all, said Fudge. Fudge, said Filch, chuckling nastily. <laughs> you filthy little beasts! You'd never have dropped stink pellets if you don't. I had it in my power to whip you raw, would you now? Nobody would have thought of throwing f fanged frisbees down the corridor if I'd have strung you up by the ankles in my office, would they? But when Educational Decree number 29 comes in, Potter, I'll be allowed to do them things. And she's asked the minister to sign in order for the expulsion of peeves. Oh, things are going to be very different round here with her in charge. Umbridge had obviously gone to some lengths to get Filch on her side, Harry thought, and the worst of it was that he would probably prove an important weapon. His knowledge of the school's secret passageways and hiding places was probably second only to that of the Weasley twins. Here we are, he said, leering down at Harry as he rapped three times on Professor Umbridge's door and pushed it open. The putter boy here to see you, ma'am. Umbridge's office, so very familiar to Harry from his many detentions, was the same as usual, except for the large wooden block lying across the front of her desk, on which golden letters spelled out the word Headmistress. Also, his firebolt and Fred and George's clean sweeps, which he saw with a pang, were chained and padlocked to a stout iron peg on the wall beside the desk. Umbridge was sitting behind the desk, busily scribbling on some of her pink parchment, but she looked up and smiled widely at their entrance. "'Thank you, Argus,' she said sweetly. "'Not at all, ma'am, not at all,' said Filch, bowing low as his rheumatism would permit, and exiting backward. "'Sit,' said Umbridge curtly, pointing toward a chair. Harry sat. She continued to scribble for a few moments. He watched some of her foul kittens gambling around the plates over her head, wondering what fresh horror she had in store for him. Well, now, she said finally, setting down her quill and surveying him complacently, like a toad about to swallow a particularly juicy fly. What would you like to drink? What? said Harry, quite sure that he had misheard her. "'To drink, Mr. Potter,' she said, smiling still more widely. "'Tea, coffee, pumpkin juice.' As she named each drink, she gave her short wand a wave, and a cup or glass of it appeared on her desk. "'Nothing, thank you,' said Harry. "'I wish you to have a drink with me,' she said, her voice becoming dangerously sweet." Choose one. Uh, fine. Tea, then, said Harry, shrugging. She got up and made quite a performance of adding milk with her back to him. Then she bustled around the desk with it, smiling in a sinisterly sweet fashion. There, 
she said, handing it to him. Drink it before it gets cold, won't you? Well, now, Mr. Potter, I thought we ought to have a little chat after the distressing event of last night. He said nothing. She settled herself back into her seat and waited. When several long moments had passed in silence, she said gaily, You're not drinking up. He raised the cup to his lips and then, just as suddenly, lowered it. One of the horrible painted kittens behind Umbridge had a, had great round blue eyes, just like Mad-Eye Moody's magical one, and it had just occurred to Harry what Mad-Eye would say if he had ever heard that Harry had drunk anything offered to him by a known enemy. "'What is the matter?' said Umbridge, who was still watching him closely. "'Do you want sugar?' "'No,' said Harry. He raised the cup to his lips again and pretended to take a sip, though keeping his mouth tightly closed. Umbridge's smile widened. "'Good,' she whispered. "'Very good.' "'Now then,' she leaned a little forward, "'where is Albus Dumbledore?' "'No idea,' said Harry promptly. "'Drink up, drink up,' she said, still smiling. "'Now, Mr. Potter, let us not play childish games. "'I know you know where he has gone. "'You and Dumbledore have been t together from the beginning. "'Consider your position, Mr. Potter.' "'I don't know where he is,' Harry repeated. He pretended to drink again. She was watching him very closely. Very well, she said, though she looked displeased. In that case, will you kindly tell me the whereabouts of Sirius Black? Harry's stomach turned over and his hand, holding the teacup, shook so that it rattled in its saucer. He tilted the cup to his mouth with his lips pressed together so that some of the hot liquid trickled down onto his robes. I don't know he said, a little too quickly. Mr. Potter, let me remind you, said Umbridge, that it was I who almost caught the criminal black in the Gryffindor fire in October. I know perfectly well. It was you who he was meeting. And if I had any proof, neither of you would be at large today, I promise you. I repeat, Mr. Potter, where is Sirius Black? No idea, said Harry loudly. I haven't got a clue. They stared at each other so long that Harry felt his eyes watering. Then Umbridge stood up. Very well, Mr. Potter. I will take it at your word this time. But be warned. The might of the Ministry stands behind me. All channels of communication in and out of this school are being monitored. A flu network regulator is keeping watch over every fire in Hogwarts. Except my own, of course. My inquisitorial squad is opening and reading all our posts entering and leaving the castle, and Mr. Filch is observing all secret passages in and out of the castle. If I find one shred of evidence... <sighs> the very floor of the office shook. Umbridge slipped sideways, clutching her desk for support, looking shocked. What was... She was gazing toward the door. Harry took the opportunity to empty his almost full cup of tea into the nearest vase of dried flowers. He could hear people running and screaming several floors below. "'Back to lunch you go, Potter!' screamed Umbridge, raising her wand and dashing out of the office. Harry gave her a few seconds head start, then hurried after her to see what the source of all the uproar was. 
It was not difficult to find. One floor down, pandemonium reigned. Somebody, and Harry had a very shrewd idea who, had set off what seemed to be an enormous crate of enchanted fireworks. Dragons, comprised entirely of green and gold sparks, were soaring up and down the corridors, emitting loud, fiery blasts and bangs as they went. Shocking pink Catherine wheels, five feet in diameter, were whizzing lethally through the air like so many flying saucers. Rockets with long, brilliant silver tails were ricocheting off the walls. Sparklers were writing swear words in midair of their own accord. Firecrackers were exploding like mines everywhere Harry looked, and instead of burning themselves out, fading from sight or fizzling to a halt, these pyrotechnical miracles seemed to be gaining energy and momentum the longer he watched. Filch and Umbridge were standing, apparently transfixed in horror, halfway down the stairs. As Harry watched, one of the larger Catherine wheels seemed to decide that it was needed one room... Oh, that it, it was needing more room to maneuver. It whirled toward Umbridge and filled with a sinister... <laughs> they both yelled and ducked with fright, and it soared straight out of the window behind them and off across the grounds. Meanwhile, several of the dragons and a large purple bat was soaring and smoking ominously, took advantage of the open door at the end of the corridor to escape toward the second floor. Hurry, Phil, hurry! shrieked Umbridge. They'll be all over the school unless we do something stupefy. A red jet of light shot out of her wand and hit one of the rockets. Instead of freezing in midair, it exploded with such a force that it blasted a hole in a painting of a soppy-looking witch in the middle of a meadow. She ran for it just in time, appearing seconds later squashed into the next painting, where a couple of wizards stood playing cards hastily to uh, and hastily moved to make room for her. Don't stun them, Filch! shouted Umbridge angrily, for all the world as though it had been in for all the world as though it had been his incantation. Right you are, headmistress, wheezed Filch, who was a squib and could no more have stunned the fireworks than swallowed them. He dashed to a nearby cupboard, pulled out a broom, and began swatting at the fireworks in midair. Within seconds the head of the broom was ablaze. Harry had seen enough. Laughing, he ducked down low, ran to a door that he knew was concealed behind a tapestry a little way along the corridor, and slipped inside to find Fred and George hiding just behind it, listening to Umbridge and Filch's yells and quaking with suppressed mirth. <sighs> impressive, Harry said quietly, grinning. Very impressive. You'll put Dr. Filibuster out of business, no problem. <laughs> Cheers whispered George, wiping tears of laughter from his face. Oh, I hope she tries vanishing the next will multiply by ten every time you try. The fireworks continued to burn and spread all over the school that afternoon. Though they caused plenty of disruption, particularly the firecrackers, the other teachers didn't seem to mind them very much. Hmm, dear, dear, said Professor, Umber uh, Professor McGonagall sardonically as one of the dragons soared around her classroom, emitting loud bangs and exhaling flame. "'Miss Brown, would you mind running along to the headmistress and forming her with have a, a skipped firework here in our classroom?' The upshot of it all was that Professor Umbridge spent her first afternoon as headmistress running all over the school, answering the summonses of the other teachers, none of whom seemed to be able to rid their classroom of the fireworks without her. When the final bell rang, they were heading off back to the Gryffindor Tower with their bags. Harry saw, with immense satisfaction, 
a disheveled and soot-blackened umbrage, tottering, sweaty-faced from Professor Flitwick's classroom. Thank you so much, Professor, said Professor Flitwick in his squeaky little voice. I could have gotten rid of the sparklers myself, of course, but I wasn't sure whether or not I had the authority. Beaming, he closed his classroom door in her snarling face. Fred and George were heroes that night in the Gryffindor common room. Even Hermione fought her way through the excited crowd to congratulate them. They were wonderful fireworks, she said admiringly. <laughs> well, thanks, said George, looking both surprised and pleased. Weasley's wildfire whiz-bangs. Only thing is, we used our entire stock. We're going to have to start again from scratch now. It was worth it, though said Fred, who was taking orders from clamouring Gryffindors. If you want to add your name to the waiting list, Hermione, it's five galleons for your basic blaze box and twenty for the deflagration deluxe. Hermione returned to the table where Ron and Harry were sitting, looking at their school bags as though hoping that their homework would spring out and start doing itself. Oh, oh why don't we have a night off, said Hermione brightly as a silver-tailed Weasley rocket zoomed past the window. After all, the Easter holidays start on Friday. We'll have plenty of time, then. Are you feeling all right? Ron asked, staring at her in disbelief. Now you mention it, said Hermione happily. Do you know, I think I'm feeling a little bit rebellious. Harry could still hear the distant bangs of escaped fireworks when he and Ron went up to bed an hour later. And as he got undressed, a sparkler floated past the tower, still resolutely spelling out the word TWO. He got into bed, yawning. With his glasses off, the occasional firework past the window became blurred, looking like sparkling clouds, beautiful and mysterious against the black sky. He turned down to his side, wondering how Umbridge was feeling about her first day in Dumbledore's job, and how Fudge would react when he heard that the school had spent most of its day in a state of advanced disruption. Smiling to himself, Harry closed his eyes. The whizzes and bangs of escaped fireworks on the ground seemed to be growing more distant. Or perhaps he was simply speeding away from them. He had fallen right into the corridor that led to the Department of Mysteries. He was speeding back toward the plain black door. Let it open. Let it open. It did. He was inside the circular room lined with doors. He crossed it, placed his hand on the identical door, and swung it inward. Now he was in a long rectangular room full of an odd mechanical clicking. There were dancing flecks of light on the walls, but he did not pause to investigate. He had to go on. There was a door at the far end. It, too, opened at his touch. And now he was in a dimly lit room as high and wide as a church full of nothing but rows and rows of towering shelves, each laden with small, dusty, spun-glass spheres. Now Harry's heart leapt. It was beating with excitement. He knew where to go. He ran forward, but his footsteps made no noise in the enormous, deserted room. 
There was something in this room he wanted very, very much. Something he wanted, or somebody else wanted. His scar was hurting. <laughs> Harry awoke instantly, confused and angry. The dark dormitory was full of the sound of laughter. <laughs> cool, said Seamus, who sounded a little bit like Filch there for a second, <laughs> and was silhouetted against the window. Oh, I think it was one of those Catherine wheels. It hit a rocket and looked like they mated. Come and see. Harry heard Ron and Dean scramble out of bed for a better look. He lay quite still and silent while the pain in his scar subsided and disappointment washed over him. He felt as though a wonderful treat had been snatched away from him at the very last moment. He had got so close that time. Glittering pink and silver winged piglets were now soaring past the windows of Gryffindor Tower. Harry lay and listened to the appreciative whoops of Gryffindors in the dormitories below them. His stomach gave a sickening jolt as he remembered that he had occlumency the following evening. There we are. We're at a chatter break. So, what do we think? Um, by the way, uh, Rex's, uh, Rexy mom? <laughs> um, or do you want to just be Rex? Uh, I've got chatbot, um, it's, it's a catbot. It's just a, a, uh, an automatic moderator in Mixer chat and it'll pull out things depending on what level you are in chat. Um, and so because you're a newbie, I think it tripped up on the word jerk. Um, so it's, uh, the, the sort of the lower your level in chat, the more strict it's going to be. Um, what it was the first time, I'm not totally sure, but, uh, I hope everyone's enjoying the chapter so far. Rachel says, I feel like after a while I'd be doing the same thing as the twins. She deserves it though. And Jade Dragon says, she isn't very good at playing it cool, is she? Uh, all right, Rex's mom. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, and Ash says, love the teachers gave her a hard time as well. Yeah, I think it's, uh, this is a heck of a plan. What, um, here's, here's our chatter break question. Our question for chat during our chatter break. Um, what is your sort of method of insurrection under the rule of, of Dolores Umbridge? What's your method? <laughs> Ash also said a little earlier, Percy was a power-hungry prat. I think uh, I think Percy had a lot. Um, he had this this big desire to sort of be important, and I think he found that in in all the wrong places. And I think that's not a terribly uncommon story. I think people look for importance in all kinds of crazy places, and um, there are there are so many bad options there. Okay. Ash says, well, it involves time in Azkaban. And then Discord's just going nutty. Punch her in the throat. <laughs> Good lord. One more from Mr. Foose. Uh, so I'm a teacher, and the most annoying thing students can do is ask valid questions too often and get anything to, too often to get anything done. So I would give her lots of valid tasks that must be done, which is what the Weasleys did. Harry spent the whole of the next day dreading what Snape was going to say if he found out how much further into the Department of Mysteries Harry had penetrated during his last dream. With a surge of guilt, he realized that he had not practiced occlumency since their last lesson. There had been too much going on since Dumbledore had left. 
He was sure he would not have been able to empty his mind even if he tried. He doubted, however, whether Snape would accept this as an excuse. He attempted a last-minute practice during classes that day, but it was no good. Hermione kept asking him what was wrong whenever he fell silent, trying to rid himself of all the thoughts and emotion, and, after all, the best moment to empty his brain was not while other teachers were firing review questions at the class. Resigned to the worst, he set off for Snape's office after dinner. Halfway across the entrance hall, however, Cho came hurrying up to him. "'Over here,' said Harry, glad of a reason to postpone his meeting with Snape and beckoning her across to the corner of the great hall, where the giant hourglasses stood. Gryffindor's was now almost empty. "'Are you okay? Umbridge hasn't been asking you about the DA, has she?' "'Oh, no,' said Cho hurriedly. "'No, it was, it was only... I, I just wanted to see Harry. I, I never dreamed that Marietta would tell.' "'Yeah, well,' said Harry moodily. He did feel Cho might have chosen her friends a bit more carefully. It was small consolation that... The last he had heard, Marietta was still up in the hospital, and up in the hospital wing, and Madame Pomfrey had not been able to make the slightest improvement to her pimples. She's really a lovely person, said Cho. She just made a mistake. Harry looked at her incredulously. A lovely person who made a mistake? She sold us all out, including you. Well, we we all got away, didn't we? We all got away said Cho, pleadingly. You know, her mum works for the ministry. It's really difficult for her. Ron's dad works for the ministry too, said Harry furiously. And in case you hadn't noticed, he hasn't got sneak written across his face. That was a really horrible trick of Hermione Granger's, said Cho fiercely. She sort of told us that she jinxed that list. I think it was a brilliant idea, said Harry coldly. Cho flushed and her eyes grew brighter. All right, of course. I forgot it was darling Hermione's idea. Don't you start crying again, said Harry warningly. I wasn't going to, she shouted. Yeah, well, good, he said. I've got enough to cope with at the moment. Well, go and cope with it then, said Cho furiously, furiously, turning on her heel and stalking off. Fuming, Harry descended the stairs into Snape's dungeon, and though he knew from experience how much easier it would be for Snape to penetrate his mind if he arrived angry and resentful, he succeeded in nothing but thinking of a few more things he should have said to Cho about Marietta before reaching the dungeon door. "'You're late, Potter,' said Snape coldly, as Harry closed the door behind him. Snape was standing with his back to Harry, removing, as usual, certain of his thoughts and placing them carefully in Dumbledore's pensive. He dropped the last silvery strand into the stone basin and turned to face Harry. Sir, he said, have you been practicing? Yes, Harry lied, looking carefully at the legs of one of Snape's, at the, at the legs of Snape's desk, <laughs> looking carefully at Snape's legs. Well, we'll soon find out. Oh, good lord. Laying it on thick tonight, huh? Well, we'll soon find out, won't we? Said Snape smoothly. Warned out, Potter. Harry moved to his usual position, facing Snape with the desk in between them. 
His heart was pumping fast with anger at Cho and anxiety about how much Snape was about to extract from his mind. On the count of three, then, said Snape lazily. One, two... Snape's office door banged open and Draco Malfoy sped in. Professor Snape, sir. Oh, sorry. Malfoy was looking at Snape and Harry in some surprise. It's all right, Draco, said Snape, lowering his wand. Potter is here for a little remedial potions. Harry had not seen Malfoy look so gleeful since Umbridge had turned up to inspect Hagrid. I didn't know, he said, leering at Harry who knew that his face was burning. He would have given a great deal to be able to shout the truth at Malfoy, or even better, hit him with a good curse. Well, Draco, what is it? asked Snape. It's Professor Umbridge, sir. She needs your help, said Malfoy. They've found Montague, sir. He's turned up jammed inside a toilet on the fourth floor. How did he get in there? demanded Snape. I don't know, sir. He's a bit confused. Very well. Very well. Potter, said Snape, we shall resume this lesson tomorrow evening. He turned and swept from his office. Malfoy mouthed, Remedial potions? at Harry behind Snape's back before following him. Seething, Harry replaced his wand inside his robes and made to leave the room. At least he had twenty-four more hours in which to practice. He knew he ought to feel grateful for the narrow escape, though it was hard that the time came at the expense of Malfoy telling the whole school he needed remedial potions. He was at the office door when he saw it. A patch of shivering light dancing on the doorframe. He stopped and looked around at it, reminded of something. Then he remembered. It was a little like the lights he had seen in his last dream. The lights in the second room that he had walked through on his journey through the Department of Mysteries. He turned around. The light was coming from the pensive sitting on Snape's desk. The silver-white contents were ebbing and swirling within. Snape's thoughts. Things he did not want Harry to see if he broke through Snape's defense. Snape's? Snape's? Not Snape's, it's just Snape's. Things he did not want Harry to see if he broke through Snape's defenses accidentally. Harry gazed at the pensive, curiosity welling inside him. What was it that Snape was so keen to hide from Harry? The silvery lights shivered on the wall. He took two steps into the desk. He took two steps toward the desk, thinking hard. Could it possibly be information about the Department of Mysteries that Snape was determined to keep from him? Harry looked over his shoulder. His heart was now pumping harder and faster than ever. How long would it take Snape to release Montague from the toilet? Would he come straight back to his office afterward, or accompany Montague to the hospital wing? Surely the latter. Montague was the captain of Slytherin's Quidditch team. Snape would want to make sure that he was all right. Harry walked the remaining few feet to the pensive and stood over it, gazing into its depths. He hesitated, listening, then pulled out his wand again. The office and the corridor beyond were completely silent. 
He gave the contents of the pensive a small prod with the end of his wand. The silvery stuff inside began to swirl very fast. Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it had become transparent. He was once again looking down into a room, as though through a circular window in the ceiling. In fact, unless he was much mistaken, he was looking down into the great hall. The silvery stuff within began to swirl very fast. Harry leaned forward over it and saw that it had become transparent. Oh, I somehow reread that. His breath was actually fogging the surface of Snape's thoughts. His brain seemed to be in limbo. It would be insane to do the thing he was so strongly tempted to do. He was trembling. Snape could be back at any moment. But shh. Harry thought of Cho's anger, of Malfoy's jeering face, and a reckless daring seized him. He took a great gulp of breath, plunged his face into the surface of Snape's thoughts. At once the floor of the office lurched, tipping Harry headfirst into the pensive. He was falling through cold blackness, spinning furiously as he went, and then he was standing in the middle of the great hall, but the four house tables were gone. Instead, there were more than a hundred smaller tables, all facing the same way, at each of which sat a student, head bent low, scribbling onto a roll of parchment. The only sound was the scratching of quills and the occasional rustle as somebody adjusted their parchment. It was clearly exam time. Sunshine was streaming in through the high windows onto the bent heads, which shone chestnut and copper and gold in the bright light. Harry looked around carefully. Snape had to be here somewhere. It was his memory. And there he was, at a table right behind Harry. Harry stared. Snape the teenager had a stringy, pallid look about him, like a plant kept in the dark. His hair was lank and greasy and was flopping onto the table, his hooked nose barely half an inch from the surface of the parchment as he scribbled. Harry moved around behind Snape and read the heading of the examination paper, Defense Against the Dark Arts, Ordinary Wizarding Level. So Snape had to be fifteen or sixteen, around Harry's own age. His hand was flying across the parchment. It had written at least a foot more than his closest neighbors, and yet his writing was minuscule and cramped. Five more minutes! The voice made Harry jump. Turning, he saw the top of Professor Flitwick's head moving between the desks a short distance away. Professor Flitwick was walking past a boy with untidy black hair. Very untidy black hair. Harry moved so quickly that had he been solid, he would have knocked desks flying. Instead, he seemed to slide, dreamlike, across two aisles and up a third. The back of the black-haired boy's head drew nearer, and he was straightening up now, putting down his quill, pulling his parchment roll toward him so as to reread what he had written. Harry stopped in front of the desk and gazed down at his fifteen-year-old father. Excitement exploded in the pit of his stomach. It was as though he were looking at himself, but with deliberate mistakes. James's eyes were hazel. His nose was slightly longer than Harry's, and there was no scar on his forehead, but they had exactly the same thin face. Same mouth, same eyebrows. James's hair stuck up in the back exactly as Harry's did. His hands could have been Harry's, and Harry could tell that when James stood up they would be within an inch of each other in height.
James yawned hugely. <sighs> Which is remarkable timing, because I needed to yawn as well. He rumpled his hair, making it even messier than it had been. Then, with a glance toward Professor Flitwick, he turned in his seat and grinned at a boy sitting four seats behind him. With another shock of excitement, Harry saw Sirius give James the thumbs up. Sirius was lounging in his chair at ease, tilting back on two legs. He was very good-looking. His dark hair fell into his eyes with a sort of casual elegance that neither James's nor Harry's had ever managed to achieve. And a girl sitting behind him was eyeing him hopefully, though he didn't seem to have noticed. And two seats along from his girl... And two seats along from this girl... Harry's stomach gave another pleasurable squirm, was Remus Lupin. He looked rather pale and peaky. Was the full moon approaching? And he was absorbed in the exam. As he reread his answers, he scratched his chin with the end of his quill, frowning slightly. So that meant Wormtail must be around here somewhere, too. And sure enough, Harry spotted him within seconds. A small, mousy-haired boy with a pointing nose. Wormtail looked anxious. He was chewing his fingernails, staring down at his paper, scuffing the ground with his toes. Every now and then, he glanced hopefully around at his neighbor's paper. Harry stared at Wormtail for a moment, then back at James, who was now doodling on a bit of scrap parchment. He had drawn a snitch and was now tracing the letters L-E. What did they stand for? Close down, please, squeaked Professor Flitwick. That means you too, Stebbins. Please remain seated while I collect your parchment. Accio! Over a hundred rolls of parchment zoomed into the air and onto Professor Flitwick's outstretched arms, knocking him backward off his feet. Several people laughed. A couple of students at the front desks got up, took hold of Professor Flitwick beneath the elbows, and lifted him back onto his feet. Thank you. Oh, thank you, panted Professor Flitwick. Very well, everyone, you are free to go. Harry looked down at his father, who had hastily crossed out the L.E. that he had been embellishing, jumped to his feet, stuffed his quill and the exam paper back into his bag, which he slung over his back, and stood waiting for Sirius to join him. Harry looked around and glimpsed Snape a short way away, moving between the tables toward the doors to the entrance hall, still absorbed in his own exam paper. Round-shouldered yet angular, he walked in a twitchy manner that recalled a spider, and his oily hair was jumping around his face. A gang of chattering girls separated Snape from James, Sirius, and Lupin, and by planting himself in their midst, Harry managed to keep Snape in sight while straining his ears to catch the voices of James and his friends. "'Do you like question ten, Mooney?' asked Sirius as they emerged into the entrance hall. Oh, "'I loved it,' said Snape briskly. Gotta, "'Gotta try and age down all these voices.' I loved it, said Lupin briskly. Give five signs to identify the werewolf. Excellent question. Do you think he managed to get all the signs? said James, in tones of mock concern. Yes, I think I did, said, S said Lupin seriously, as they joined the crowd thronging around the front doors, eager to get out into the sunlit grounds. One, he's sitting on my chair. Two, he's wearing my clothes. Three, his name is Remus Lupin. Wormtail was the only one who didn't laugh. <laughs> I've got the snout shape, the 
pupils of the eyes and the tufted tail, he said anxiously, but I couldn't think of what else. How thick are you, Wormtail? said James impatiently. You run around with a werewolf once a month. Keep your voice down, implored Lupin. Harry looked anxiously around him again. Snape remained close by, still buried in his exam questions. But this was Snape's memory, and Harry was sure that if Snape chose to wander off in a different direction, once outside on the grounds, he, Harry, would not be able to follow James any further. To his intense relief, however, when James and his three friends strode off down the lawn toward the lake, Snape followed, still poring over the exam paper and apparently with no fixed idea of where he was going. By keeping a little ahead of him, Harry managed to maintain a close watch on James and the others. Well, I thought the paper was a piece of cake, he heard Sirius say. I'd be surprised if I don't get an outstanding on it at least. Me too, said James. He put his hand into his pocket and took out a struggling golden snitch. Where did you get that? I nicked it, said James casually. He started playing with the snitch, allowing it to fly as much as a foot away before seizing it again. His reflexes were excellent. Wormtail watched him with awe. They stopped in the shade of the very same beech tree on the edge of the lake where Harry, Ron, and Hermione had once spent a Sunday finishing their homework, and threw themselves down on the grass. Harry looked over his shoulder again and saw, to his delight, that Snape had settled himself down in the grass in the dense shadow of a clump of bushes. He was as deeply immersed in the OWL paper as ever, which left Harry free to sit down on the grass between the beech and the bushes and watch the foursome under the tree. The sunlight was dazzling on the smooth surface of the lake, on the bank of which the group of laughing girls who had just left the great hall were sitting, with their shoes and socks off, cooling their feet in the water. Lupin had pulled out a book and was reading. Sirius stared around at the students milling over the grass, looking rather haughty and bored, but very handsomely so. James was still playing with the snitch, letting it zoom further and further away, almost escaping but always grabbing it at the last second. Wormtail was watching him with his mouth open. Every time James made a particularly difficult catch, Wormtail gasped and applauded. After five minutes of this, Harry wondered why James didn't tell Wormtail to get a grip on himself. But James seemed to be enjoying the attention. Harry noticed that his father had a bit of a habit of rumpling his hair as though to keep it from getting too tidy. And he also kept looking over at the girls by the water's edge. Put that away, will ya? said Sirius finally, as James made a fine catch and Wormtail let out a cheer. Before Wormtail wets himself with excitement. Wormtail turned slightly pink, but James grinned. If it bothers you, he said, stuffing the snitch back in his pocket. Harry had the distinct impression that Sirius was the only one for whom James would have stopped showing off. I'm bored, said Sirius. I wish it was full moon. You might, said Lupin darkly from behind his book. We've still got transfiguration. If you're bored, you could test me. Here. And he held out his book. Sirius snorted. <laughs> I don't need to look at that rubbish. I know it all. Then this'll liven you up, Padfoot, said James quietly. Look who it is. Sirius's head turned. He became very still, like a dog that had scented a rabbit. 
Excellent, he said softly. Snivelous. Harry turned to see what Sirius was looking at. Snape was on his feet again and was stowing the OWL paper in his bag. As he left the shadows of the bushes and set off across the grounds, Sirius and James stood up. Lupin and Wormtail remained sitting. Lupin was still staring at his book, though his eyes were not moving, and a faint frown line had appeared between his eyebrows. Wormtail was looking from Sirius and James to Snape with a look of avid anticipation in his eyes. "'All right, Snivellus,' said James loudly. Snape reacted so fast as it was as though he were expecting an attack. Dropping his bag, he plunged his hand into his robes and had his wand halfway into the air when James shouted, Expelliarmus! Snape's wand flew twelve feet into the air and landed with a little thud on the grass beside, behind him. Sirius let out a bark of laughter. <laughs> Impedimentia, he said, pointing his wand at Snape, who was knocked, his, knocked off his feet halfway through a dive toward his fallen wand. Students all around had turned to watch. Some of them had got to their feet and were edging nearer. Some looked apprehensive, others entertained. Snape lay panting on the ground. James and Sirius advanced on him, wands raised, James glancing over his shoulder at the girls at the water's edge as he went. Wormtail was on his feet now, watching hungrily, edging around Lupin to get a clearer view. "'How did the exam go, Snivelly?' said James. "'I was watching him his nose. His nose was touching the parchment,' said Sirius viciously. "'There'll be big grease marks all over it. Won't be able to read a word.' Several people watching laughed. Snape was clearly unpopular. Wormtail sniggered shrilly. Snape was still trying to get up, but the jinx was still operating on him. He was struggling, as though bound by invisible ropes. "'You white,' he panted, staring up at James with an expression of purest loathing. "'You white.' "'Wait for what?' said Sirius coolly. What are you going to do, Snivelly? Wipe your nose on us? Snape let out a stream of mixed swear words and hexes, but with his wand ten feet away, nothing happened. Wash out your mouth, said James coldly. Scourgeify! Pink soap bubbles streamed from Snape's mouth at once. The froth was covering his lips, making him gag, choking him. Leave him alone! James and Sirius looked around. James's free hand immediately jumped to his hair. It was one of the girls from the lake's edge. She had thick, dark red hair that fell to her shoulders, and startlingly, startlingly green almond-shaped eyes. Harry's eyes. Harry's mother. All right, Evans, said James, and the tone of his voice was suddenly pleasant, deeper, more mature. Leave him alone, Lily repeated. She was looking at James with every sign of great dislike. What has he done to you? Well, said James, apparently trying to deliberate a point. It's more the fact that he exists, if you know what I mean. Many of the surrounding students laughed, Sirius and Wormtail included. But Lupin, still apparently intent on his book, didn't and nor did Lily. "'You think you're funny?' she said coldly. "'But you're just an arrogant, bullying, tarag putter. Leave him alone!' 
"'I will if you go out with me, Evans,' said James quickly. "'Go on. Go out with me, and I'll never lay a hand on old Snivelly again.' Behind him, the impediment jinx was wearing off. Snape was beginning to inch toward his fallen wand, spitting out soap suds as he crawled. "'I wouldn't go out with you as a chance between you and the giant squid,' said Lily. "'Bad luck, Prongs,' said Sirius briskly, and turned back to Snape. Oi! But it was too late. Snape had directed his wand straight at James. There was a flash of light and a gash appeared on the side of James's face, splattering his robes with mud. James whirled about. A second flash of light later, Snape was hanging upside down in the air, his robes falling over his head to reveal skinny, pallid legs and a pair of graying underpants. Many people in the small crowd cheered. Sirius, James, and Wormtail roared with laughter. Lily, whose furious expression had twitched for an instant as though she were going to smile, said, Let him down! Certainly, said James, and he jerked his wand upward. Snape fell into a crumpled heap at the ground. Disentangling himself from his robes, he got quickly to his feet, wand up, but Sirius said, Locomotor Mortis, said Snape. Uh, said Sirius, and Snape keeled over once again, rigid as a board. Leave him alone! Lily shouted. She had her wand out now. James and Sirius eyed it warily. <laughs> Evans, don't make me hex you, said James earnestly. Take the curse off him then. James sighed deeply, then turned to Snape and muttered the counter curse. There you go, he said, as Snape struggled to his feet. You're lucky that Evans was here, Snivellus. I don't need help from filthy little mudbloods like her. Lily blinked. Fine, she said coolly. I won't bother in the future. And I'd wash your pants if I were you, Snivellus. Apologize to Evans, James roared at Snape, his wand now pointing threateningly at him. I don't want you to make him apologize, Lily shouted, rounding on James. You're as bad as he is. What? yelped James. I would never call you a you-know-what. Missing up your hair because you think it looks cool just because you've, like, got off your broomstick showing off that stupid snitch, walking down the corridors and hexing everyone who annoys you just because you can. Are you surprised your broomstick can get off the ground with that fat head stuck on it? You make me sick. She turned on her heel and hurried away. Evans! James shouted after her. Hey, Evans! But she didn't look back. What is it with her? Said James, trying and failing to look as though this was a throwaway question of no real importance to him. Uh, reading between the lines, I'd say she thinks you're a bit conceited, mate, said Sirius. Right, said James, who looked furious now. Right. There was another flash of light, and Snape was once again hanging upside down in the air. Who wants to see me take off Snivelly's pants? But whether James really did take off Snape's pants, Harry never found out. A hand had closed tight over his upper arm, closed with a pincher-like grip. Wincing, Harry looked around to see who had got a hold of him and saw with a thrill of horror a fully grown, adult-sized Snape standing right beside him, white with rage. 
having fun? Harry felt himself rising into the air. The summer's day evaporated around him. He was floating upward through the icy blackness, Snape's hand still tight on his upper arm. Then, with a swooping feeling as though he had turned head over heel in midair, his feet hit the stone floor of Snape's dungeon and he was standing once again beside the pensive on Snape's desk and the shadowy present-day potion master's study. So, said Snape, gripping Harry's arm so tightly that Harry was starting to feel numb, so, been enjoying yourself, Potter? No, said Harry, trying to free his arm. It was scary. Snape's lips were shaking, his face was white, his teeth were bared. Amusing man, wasn't he, your father? said Snape, shaking Harry so hard his glasses slipped down his nose. I didn't! Snape threw Harry from him with all his might. Harry fell hard on the dungeon floor. You will not repeat what you saw to anybody, Snape bellowed. No, said Harry, getting to his feet and as far away from Snape as he could. No, of course I would Get out! Get out! I don't want to see you in this office ever again! And as Harry hurtled toward the door, a jar of dead cockroaches exploded above his, above his head. He wrenched the door open and flew along the corridor, stopping only when he had put three floors between himself and Snape. There he leaned against the wall, panting and rubbing his bruised arm. He had no desire at all to return to Gryffindor Tower so early, nor to tell Ron and Hermione what he had just seen. What was making Harry feel so horrified and unhappy was not being shouted at or having jars thrown at him. It was that he knew how it felt to be humiliated in the middle of a circle of onlookers, knew exactly how Snape had felt as his father had taunted him, and that judging from what he had just seen, his father had been every bit as arrogant as Snape had always told him. That's the end of the chapter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget, the uh, next chapter is starting up very soon. Uh, you can find the link in the description. If you are watching on Mixer or listening via Discord, let's go back to the library. And a uh, lot of lot of stuff to talk about in chat here. So let's, uh, let's have these discussions now, shall we? Snape. We have learned an awful lot about Snape. Um, we we haven't learned we haven't learned so much that we didn't already know, but we've had a lot of things confirmed for us. But what we really have learned is about James Potter. Um, and it would appear he is, in fact, as much of a bully as Snape seemed to indicate. Now, uh, Ash says Snape was an odd character, um, and uh, General's making some some kind of uh, some parallels between uh, the sort of uh, the, the the people who would use the term mudblood in the KKK, and I think that is supposed to, that that that's the design here is for for this to evoke. Um, the, the evoke racism and bigotry and um, the the uh, the the effects of that and where that crops up. Um, and uh, now I know we've we've talked about this before. Um, you know how much how much sympathy is right to have for somebody like Snape? And I've, I'm seeing some people say that the answer is no sympathy, no sympathy for you know someone like Snape. Let's I mean let's let's take a serious look at it. He he did just. He, he tried to maim James Potter. Now, 
of course this is in this is in um uh self-defense i think it could be argued um what else he he's using these like pretty brutal slurs let's be honest it's the equivalent of the n-word um and the the ultimately i think what we what we always come back to and what i always come back to here is that evil while it may be a well it may be a truth i'm not going to deny the existence of evil i want to i my point i think would just be simply that evil is not a useful term um when we're trying to understand people and that's what i that's what i want to do here as much as possible um yeah, Jujubee's saying, I'm pretty sure that JK stated that. I think that was that was uh, Jujubee saying that in regards to sort of the 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 equivalences between the two. Um, <laughs> I, I love as soon as as soon as something sort of uh, I guess controversial comes up um, when it just says several people are typing. Um, uh, Jujubee says, I think that a little bit of sympathy is due to Snape, but that it might be because I went through something similar when I was a kid. Um, uh, Rick's mom says, "Not every abused kid grows up to be another abuser." Um, I think I think this is an excellent point. Um, as I've stated before, I think people are genuinely they are responsible for the actions that they take. I think they are responsible for if they have grown up with this sort of thing and this is the sort of the environment that they grew up in. It's important that they that they make make strides to get out of that. Um, now, at what point do they they realize they're even on a wrong path? I don't know. Um, but I want to. I, I do want to be clear. Like I, I believe that people are responsible for the actions that they take, and 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 uh, the older that one gets, I think it's it's super important not to just say like the the uh, their upbringing is the only thing that that really matters. And so if they had a bad upbringing, then we can excuse anything they do. It's not true. Um, one thing that I do think is important. One thing that I do think is important is that calling someone evil doesn't recognize the ways in which it would it might be possible for for people to sort of head this sort of stuff off. Um, sometimes that is possible, sometimes it's not. But I think trying to understand what um, trying to understand how how these sorts of ideologies prey on vulnerable individuals, I think, is super important. And we're talking about um, you know supremacist groups, which is exactly what the Death Eaters are. They're a they're a supremacy group, and I think the the uh, the the parallels there are are hugely important and significant. Um, and it's understanding kind of the tactics, you know, understanding the 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 tactics and the ideologies and how they take advantage of people in vulnerable situations. Um, I think that is much more valuable to us than simply labeling evil. So I want to I want to be very clear. Um, this is not an excuse for for Snape, but um, we have learned a lot about the we we've learned we've learned more I should say about the the life that he had here at school, and I think over time we're going to learn much more about the life that he had at home as well. Uh, Jujubee says up on Mixer. Oh wait, no, that's from before. Uh, Nate says some people never feel like they have a choice. And uh, Rex's mom says Snape is complex. Rachel says they were both kind of terrible, and um, I think that might be. I think I think what Ra what Rachel says. They were both kind of terrible. I think that's an important thing to note. Um, I think this is 
ultimately this is ultimately sort of the 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 parallel between james and snape that i think is the intent here much in the same way that there's a parallel between um harry and malfoy when considering when considering where people came from the choices that they made the change when they changed did they change for good or bad did they change in ways that allowed them to that 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 they were better for the world or did they change and become exactly the things that uh that did that made them suffer when they were younger i think uh back before though nate brings up a great point of why don't people lock up their memories that's a pretty good question right um one of the one of the uh one of the things I was actually thinking about while we were reading was, I wonder, because there are all sorts of different learning styles, right? There are different ways that people's memories work. I wonder if there are, if different people's memories have sort of different flavor to them. Like, are, do some of them have really distinct smells? Um, and, and others, like, because it said, it said um, that uh, he felt the cold. Um, you know, he was he was feeling the warmth of this summer day, and then when he drags him back in, uh, he feels the cold. Um, and just having that sort of sensory note made me wonder, like, does everyone's memory include temperatures? Because I don't know if I would remember a temperature um, on a particular day, even if the event was fairly important to me. I don't know if I would remember how, you know, how warm I was or what, what things smelled like, unless that was like specifically part of the memory. So I wonder if different people's memories have different, um, different facets to them. <laughs> Ash says, Sirius's memory be white hot. Just saying. <laughs> I think I might've said Sirius when I met Snape. Yeah, this has all been Snape's memory. Um, and uh, yeah, Nate says, why leave them out for anyone? And I agree completely. Like, what's, I don't know. <laughs> Snape has been so very cautious with Harry so far. He has been um, antagonistic toward Harry and and uh, secretive. And we've he's already had this conversation with Harry regarding stealing, you know, potion ingredients. He's been suspicious of Harry. Why on earth would he just leave Harry in this room with uh, with all of his memories? And I don't know if we'll ever know, but it would seem that uh, um, when when Umbridge calls, Snape will come running. Yeah, I don't want anyone futzing around with my memories either. Ash says maybe he let Harry see it for a reason. Now that's an interesting theory. A very interesting theory. Ash says, maybe he let Harry see it for a reason. Now, let's think about the whole plan here right now. Let's think about, uh, let's think, okay, first of all, we know that, that Snape, um, at least according to Dumbledore, Snape is loyal to Dumbledore, right? S Dumbledore says that Snape is loyal. We're, we're on this plan. So, so you know, uh, Dumbledore has this, this plan for Harry that includes occlumency. Um, Harry is supposed to be very, very careful about um, the things that he allows Voldemort to see. And I feel like that, you know, it, at the beginning of this, Harry explicitly states, like, he's wondering if there's something in there about the Ministry of Magic that Snape doesn't want him to see. Something in those memories. And uh, Nate says, yeah, it's his way of reaching out. 
And a mixer is saying it's easy to judge somebody without knowing the whole story. The uh, uh, bad feedback at times? Hmm. I hope not. Oh, okay. So my, my roommates are doing some dishes in the other room. So that might be it. <laughs> but uh, Ash says he has to act mad to keep Harry from thinking about the door. A distraction. Um, but uh, yeah, so so we we know what Dumbledore's plan is, and it's essentially to keep Harry kind of in the dark. We know that he won't even make eye contact with Harry. It seems that he understands, at least at some level, the sort of influence that that uh, Voldemort is having on Harry. And through this, through all this, um, Harry's not supposed to really know very much. And then suddenly Snape leaves him alone in a room with a bunch of his memories. It is an odd move. Now, at the same time, we do know what sort of memories were in there, but maybe maybe that's the point. Maybe uh, maybe if if Snape really wanted to communicate to Harry about his father, about James. If if Snape's point was to say, no. Look, I'm not supposed to be sharing this with you, but take a good look at who your father was. I don't know. Inscrutable, I believe, is the word that I would use. Okay. So, uh, unfortunately, my my dear assistant is out for the night, and so I am going to have to do beans all by my own dang lonesome tonight. So, how are we going to do this? What do you think? Just grab bag? Just, uh... <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hold them under the desk and uh, pop in one at a time. So we'll try that, I guess. Yep. If you wanna if you wanna get a good look at the beans, I'll have to join up with Mixer. Okay. So I got a big mess of things. I got a big mess. Of, oh my lord, they smell terrible. We knew that was coming. I once again do not have any water to uh to to have a to have a reprieve between these things. So we're just doing it. All right, I'm going to have to not look. I'm going to direct my eyes away. I'm going to hold it up in what is what is hopefully going to appear for y'all, but eh, if it doesn't, we'll see. All right. There's also not going to be a great way for me to confirm or deny what these things are. Don't be don't be scared of the beans. Rex's mom, don't don't be scared of the beans. Melodic smile. Welcome. <laughs> okay, that one's very minty. I'm pretty confident that one's toothpaste. It's just super, like, blatant minty. It's wicked mint. Yeah, I think that one's a pretty clear toothpaste one. Um, I'm assuming it was blue when it popped up, but who knows? Yeah, tuna. I'm not sure. Um, Y'all might have to confirm or deny certain certain flavors for me. Maybe if I hold it up behind my hand, I won't be able to see it, but I'll be able to see that I'm like getting it good on camera. Oh, nope, because then I can just see my camera. I don't know. There it is. Oh, I'm still trying to clear this old one. All right. Hmm. I picked the uh, I picked a bad time to launch into this. <laughs> First time on Mixer Melodic, welcome. Um, and of course, Xtina is cursed. 
I would like to join the discussion so bad. Ugh. I have no idea what that one was. I want to say it was some sort of like birthday cake one. Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I think the, uh, the, the mint is messing with me. Ugh. It's no good. At least they're both clear now. I'm done with both of them. Doesn't uh doesn't do me any favors when uh when Cass isn't here to sort of help me sort of help me navigate uh what's going on. Tell me sort out what the heck is even Oh boy. I looked at that one, so I have to put it back now. Let me mix them up. Alright. There we go. Giving it a shot. I hope y'all can see it. If not, sorry. Um, num, num. Damn it. Mm, sorry. That one went slightly beyond the age rating for this one. But, uh, yeah, no, that one's definitely, that'll be egg or something. That'll be rotten egg, I think. Thanks, Tuna. Um, the quick guy says, can you look at the at the color and know it'll be toothpaste or insert normal flavor? It'll be worth a 50-50 shot. I think... Hmm. As self-appointed bean master, I would approve. I don't know. I think that... Oh... Oh, it's just sitting there. It's just sitting there on the back of my tongue. Oh, that's really bad. I'm going to have to just shotgun two more to get rid of that thing. Mm. Quite quite says we still get to watch your misery. Yeah, I'm really hoping I don't get dog food again. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I didn't get dog food before. I got, uh, what was it? Rotten fish? It was terrible. Whatever it was. Okay. Hmm. This is another one that I'm not sure. Mimi says I always get the nasty ones. Hmm. I'm not sure about this one. To tell you the truth, this has been such an assault on my taste buds. I'm not even sure whether this is supposed to be a good one or a bad one. I feel like the bad ones are so clear cut in this one. So I'm going to say it's supposed to be a good one and it just isn't great. Um, Y'all should let me know what color it was. Oh, man. Oh, it's just like bad sugar, like coating the back of my throat. <sighs> this ain't doing me any favors, folks. Give him a lemon. Clean his palate. Give him a lemon. We're back on that that uh, pro wrestling stuff. I guess it was UFC you were talking about before, but man, it's yeah, it's 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 no good at all. All right, last bean of the night, and uh, once again for everyone here, this is a celebration of uh, y'all getting people into the channel. I really appreciate um, everything that you've done to to spread the word and to show people around here, um, and uh, I hope that uh, you have a fantastic week. One more bean. I realized I brought it off camera. There might have been opportunity for like a switch out.
Oh, it's weirdly rubbery. I think that one will be earwax. I think that one will be earwax. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Tuna says at least Xtina's emojis aren't backwards. <laughs> I'm pretty confident this one's earwax. McCoy says, great bean to end on. Uh, this sucks. <laughs> I don't know why I do this. I should have I should have used the excuse that my assistant wasn't here, so I wasn't gonna be able to make it happen tonight. I didn't feel that I didn't feel that would be the, the way to go, but but I wish I had. You know, I wish I had done so. That was uh that was no good. That was no good at all. I believe the the, the final one there was uh, earwax. Um, you'll have to let me know color-wise whether it looked like that matched up. <laughs> McCoy Koi sends, uh, sends some chocolate to cleanse my palate. <laughs> Nathan, you can't. <laughs> all right. I think I'm going to... Um, I'm going to call it a night there. I realize we're about eh, 20 minutes early, but um, for anyone who is just finishing up and listening on the YouTube right now, listen on that there YouTube, um, go ahead and I'm about to be starting live on Mixer because that's how I upload. I upload these right before um, I get started with the live ones. So if you want to, if you're just getting caught up and you want to listen to the whole thing live, go ahead, jump in. Um, if you're listening to this on Mixer, thank you so very much. If you're listening on Discord, thank you for, uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope everyone is going to have a fantastic week. I will be back tomorrow, um, but uh, for my sort of more more typical earlier streams. Um, I hope everyone's having a good one so far. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll see y'all later. Have a good one. I'm going to be dropping a whole bunch of links in chat right now. Adios. <laughs>